everybody. Uh, welcome back to our continuing study into the book of First John and chapter 4 with our particular emphasis on verse 4 which uh, says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Without further ado let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father we want to thank you for all that you've done for us in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We want to thank you, Lord God, that his death and resurrection gives us life, gives us freedom from sin, and gives us an assured eternity spent in your presence. And Father God, we want to thank you that the word that you have written down for us, Lord God, as a way of helping us is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that, Lord God, that the entrance of your word brings light. And Father, I pray that as we look at your word again today, that your name will be honoured and glorified in our hearts and in our spirits, Lord, that you may shine through us. Lord, that you truly may be greater in us than the one that's in the world. And Lord, once again, I surrender to you. And Lord, I ask, Lord God, that you would anoint my lips to enhance the kingdom of God as you have promised. That once again, Lord God, that you would use me as a conduit to flow through. Not for my glory, not for my benefit, but for the total glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last time in our look at the greater one who lives within us, uh, we looked at what it meant when Paul told the Colossians that Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. Our conclusion was that the physical Jesus, the word made flesh, was among men the first among equals. Of all men born of a woman, there was and never will be one like our Lord Jesus, who is now our advocate at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And we also saw that Jesus the Lord always was, always is, and always will be Lord over all creation. And it's this Jesus who is greater in us than the one that's in the world. He has made each one of us into temples of his Holy Spirit, and we are called and challenged to allow him to live out his life through us as a witness to those who don't know him. Now this week's initial plan was to take a look at Jesus, the creator of all things visible and invisible. However, I've decided instead that this week we're going to take a slight diversion from the text that we're studying in Colossians 1 in order to tackle the a curveball question that was asked of me after I preached this the first time during a fellowship meeting we had on Zoom uh, with our, our Tupton Church here in Bournemouth last year. That question was, how do we apply this teaching to our lives? I think you'll agree that's a good question. And having seriously thought about that question, you may be surprised to learn that I have come to the conclusion that 
I don't really have any idea at all. Having said that, I think that it still remains a preacher's responsibility and a teacher's responsibility to point his listeners in the right direction. And according to Paul, when he wrote his second letter to Timothy, he urged him to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You can find that in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. As long as we who speak to you each week are correctly handling the word of truth, whether you listen online or in your own churches, and we're not bringing heretical doctrine into the church, then the responsibility lies with you, the hearer, to work it out for themselves. So yes, I am firmly placing the burden on you to work out how to apply this. It's almost the ultimate in passing the buck, but we are each responsible to the Lord to work it through with him. We as preachers and teachers can point you in the right direction, but you and I need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's something every Christian has to do. A long time ago, I once had a picture of a bird's nest full of fat and oversized chicks screaming and harassing their parents to go and get them a juicy worm or two to eat. Those chicks had been ready to leave the nest for a long time, but baying for food saved them the hassle of going and getting it for themselves. The parent birds never taught them how to go and get food for themselves. So they just gave it to them on a plate, so to speak. And I liken that to the modern church where the congregation was sitting there every week demanding the preachers bring them food. And the ministers were so invested in trying their hardest to give a good word that their congregations would find palatable, they neglected to teach the congregation how to each individually get that spiritual meat for themselves. We all have to change if we want to see a vibrant church representing Jesus to the world where that light of Christ is in us and shining through us and proving that he indeed is greater in us than he that's in the world. I sincerely believe that those of us who stand up and talk at the front do have a responsibility to equip you for works of service, but it is your responsibility to make use of that which the ministers bring. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until all of us reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of all the fullness of Christ. So no pressure then. Therefore, with that in mind, I am obligated in giving you some pointers to help you out in your application of the word, especially the word that I've been bringing to you these past seven or eight weeks, so that you may be equipped and that you may have the tools you need 
to help you apply the word. These have been tried and tested methods throughout 2000 years of church history. So they're not in any way new. As King Solomon once said in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. And as Paul said to the church in Rome in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was been made, so that the people are without excuse. So let's embark on this search for the tried and tested methods and keys to understanding and applying the word of God. Let's start at the very, very beginning because, hey, it's a very good place to start. You cannot apply the word of God if you don't A, read it, B, hear it, C, study it, D, meditate on it, and E, pray it. Most of you listening and watching this today are Gentile believers. And unless you've had the advantage of attending a church school, or going to Sunday school, we all had a disadvantage when we first came to Christ. Namely, we do not know scripture. We might have gleaned something from a humanities or an RE class at school, or maybe a biblical film on TV, or possibly an accidental channel switch to a religious TV station on a Sunday evening. You might even have been sent to a Sunday school by your parents. In that respect, we join with every Gentile believer in the first few decades of the early church in being totally ignorant of God and his word. We never read it, let alone had the capacity to understand it. Thank God we have the apostles and the early Jewish believers to help us out. All of them, every single one of them, even the tax collectors and fishermen from Galilee, they were all steeped in scripture from birth and knew what they were talking about. And they wrote down the gospel so that we could understand who Jesus was and is. And they wrote the epistles to encourage and correct the early church in their attempts at applying the word. And we have also been given the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would not speak on his own behalf, but he would speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come and he will glorify Jesus because it's from Jesus that he will receive what he will make known to you. You can find that in John 16 verses 13 to 14. Now I have a great but risky quote from a guy called Brilliat Savarin. I'd like to share it with you now. He once said, a great meal without a sauce is like a beautiful woman without clothes. It can satisfy the appetite, but it lacks the coating of civilization that would arouse our fullest interest. The Bible is a great meal, but we need the anointing and revelation of the Holy Spirit to arouse our fullest interest in it. Without him, the Bible is nothing but dry food that satisfies the intellect, but not the spirit or the soul. When Moses was talking to Israel before they entered the land, he talked about what should be done when Israel wanted a king to lead them. 
Among his instructions found for that in Deuteronomy 17, 18 and 19 was this. When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It's to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And as those whom Jesus has made kings and priests, I encourage you to write it down, take notes, and then keep reading what you have written. You would be surprised at how many times I read through the notes of a sermon before I have the audacity to preach or publish it. The Lord charges us with not just reading the word, but understanding it too. How many times did he challenge the Pharisees and the teachers of the law by asking them these questions? Haven't you read? Or have you never read? And we too are without excuse. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, For we do not write you anything you cannot under understand or read. 2 Corinthians 1.13 It is each of our responsibility as individuals to read and understand and apply scripture. The Bible also makes it clear that is, it is of the utmost importance not only to read the scriptures, but to hear them as well. We are all aware that Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And there is something about listening to the word of God as it's read that does a work deep within us, within our spirits. It may not necessarily be felt by the emotions, but it definitely has an effect deep down inside that provokes us to believe in the one who wrote it. David writes in Psalm 119 and verse 130, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple and I'm as simple as they get. The same Paul who told the Roman church about the hearing of the word also charged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 13 to devote himself to the public reading of scripture. And that's why I tend to quote a lot of scripture in my messages, so that the word becomes more important than my words. We all know that Jesus charged the readers of the prophecy in the book of Revelation that they'd get a blessing from reading the words of that prophecy. But is that all Jesus said? Let's read from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, because it says this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. That's why sometimes when I read scripture at home, I read it out aloud, or at least in a stage whisper, because it's important to hear the word. When we hear the word spoken, it provokes us to faith. Now, I'm not into those people of the word of faith ministry who tend to abuse scripture in an effort to enrich themselves because they have a propensity to take everything out of context and they go to extremes that I believe that scripture does not encourage. But 
If you do re read the word out loud, it will have a positive effect on your life. And with that comes the added advantage of being able to discern truth from error, when ministries spring up spouting unusual new doctrines. That's why personal study of the word becomes of paramount importance. It's your own way of checking out what you see and hear both in church, in books, on TV and radio, and even here on YouTube. You'll see more personal growth in the Lord if you make the effort to study the word for yourself. I quoted earlier from 2 Timothy 2.15, which in the King James Version says this, study to show yourself approved. And in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he encourages him to be diligent in these matters, to give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. In our studies, we mustn't become like the Pharisees, to whom Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have that life. Our study must first acknowledge that the scriptures are all about Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. Psalm 119 is all about the Word. And David says this in verses 81 and 82. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? Those verses very much remind me of the Bereans in Acts 17 and verse 11, who were commended by Paul because they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And I encourage myself, and I encourage all of you to do the same, to be like the Bereans. So read the word, hear the word, study the word, then meditate upon the word. I'm not talking about the type of medita meditation you find propagated in some Eastern religions where you passively empty your mind and go into some whoopee-doo trance-like state because you'll be opening yourself up to all kinds of demonic influences. Biblical meditation is where you actively make a huge amount of effort and use a lot of mental discipline in deliberately thinking about the Lord and the Word. Speaking personally, it's how I receive from the Lord what I bring to the fellowship and to you here on YouTube every single time I preach, and which I record for you here. It's not easy, and it's sometimes I have to take a break in order to allow the thoughts to develop into something coherent and doctrinally sound. So what do we meditate upon? Here are one or two pointers for you. In Joshua 1 and verse, uh, uh, verse 1 and chapter 8 and verse 8, sorry, it says we can meditate on the book of the law. In Psalm 63 in verse 6 we read, we can meditate upon the nature of God Almighty himself. 
In Psalm 77 and verse 12, it says this, we can meditate on the works of God in our lives and the works of God in the world. In Psalm 119 and verse 15, we can meditate on God's precepts. Those are his specific commands and orders to each of us. And again in 119 verse 23 in the book of Psalms, we can meditate upon God's statutes. Those are his general laws and decrees. In 119 and verse 148 of Psalm, of the psalm we read that we can meditate upon his word which is the whole counsel of scripture in psalm 145 and verse 5 we read that we can meditate on the majesty of god and in malachi chapter 3 and verse 16 we read that we can meditate upon his wonderful name Paul wrote to the Philippians that whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. You can find that in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And finally, pray the word. There are various different ways that you can do this. The pastor of the Assemblies of God Church in a place called Failsworth, which is in the greater Manchester area of the UK, once gave me a whole list of scripture that you can just pray. The Bible is full of the prayers of God's people and there is nothing to stop us from praying those prayers too. And what I've done and what I will do is put a, uh, uh, put a whole list of that in the description below this message. If you find that helpful, then you can pray the word that way. Another way is to pray the promises of God back to him. I told you a few weeks ago that this is how Connie became the answer to my prayers because I prayed scripture back to God and it bears repeating. I prayed something like this, Lord, you said in Genesis 2.18 that it's not good that a man should be alone and that you would make him a helper suitable for him. You also said in Proverbs 18.22 that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord and that according to Psalm 84 and verse 11 no good thing will he withhold from those whose walk is blameless and although I have no righteousness in myself and I am in no wise upright I am relying on the grace and mercy found in Jesus who according to 2 Corinthians 5 21 though he knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And voila, this year on May the 19th, we would have been married for 20 years. So there you have it. Some basic biblical keys that I hope will help you apply any of the teaching you hear, both here on YouTube, 
or that you listen to from any other source at church or elsewhere or that you read in books. If you do these things, then the Lord will bring discernment to your heart and revelations of his word to your mind and soul that will be of encouragement not just to you, but to us all. And then when you get those revelations, why don't you share them with the rest of us? Paul said to the Corinthian church, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And that is why you must do these things, that the church may be built up and made strong. So I encourage you to read the word, to hear the word, to study the word, to meditate upon the word and to pray the word. My desire has always been to get to the point where Jeremiah got to when he said this in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. If I say I will not make mention of the Lord or speak any more in his name, my mind and heart it is as if there was a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of enduring and holding it in. I cannot contain it any longer. That's in the Amplified Version. I long to be like that where the word is a fire in my bones. And I'd love for us all to get to that point where the word is like a fire in each one of us. Because if we get there, we'll all be a demonstration to each other and to the world that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. May God bless you. May God keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may he give you his shalom. Don't forget to like and subscribe and to share this message if you found it helpful and leave a comment below. I, I find them really encouraging if you do leave a comment below. And those of you who do not know Christ, you can. If you don't know what we've, I've been talking about here today, then you can know this wonderful salvation that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for, to give you. All you need to do is to repent of your sin to ask God for forgiveness, to ask him to become Lord of your life and to lead you in his ways, to go the way of the Lord for now and until eternity. You can do that. In Jesus' name I pray you do. Amen.